Welcome to the Disambiguation Podcast, where each week we try to remove some of the confusion around AI and business automation by talking to experts across a broad spectrum of business use cases and the supporting technology. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. If you're new to the show, we release a new episode every Friday as a podcast on all the major podcast channels, on YouTube as a video, and we also post a transcript on the Arian Research blog in case you want to stop by and read it. Welcome. Today's show is a special edition from Dell Tech Project Con in Orlando, Florida. We're at the fine Gaylord Hotel. Uh, and I'm joined today uh, by Warren Lipscott, who is the uh, CPO, Chief Product Officer. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about my favorite subject, of course, about AI. Welcome, Warren. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Really appreciate the opportunity. Cool. Um, so just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Sure. So uh, I'm the Chief Product Officer at Dell Tech, as you mentioned. Um, I've been with Dell Tech for uh, over 14 and a half years now. Um, so it's been quite a journey. I got my start there um, as a product manager in the accounting and finance side of one of our ERP solutions for government contractors. Yeah. You know, prior to that, I worked at uh, J.P. Morgan Chase um, in Treasury Services for a number of years through an acquired company. Uh, been at that company for you know eight or nine years doing import and export trade logistics and controls, software and services. So. Um, you know, been in and around regulated, regulated kind of enterprise software environments for a long time now. Great. Um, and <clears throat> we've known each other for quite a long time, I should say. And in fact, this is not the first time we've done an interview together. That's right. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. done several before. Yes, we have. Although not for this fine podcast, something else, right? Um, all right, well, let's just get into it. So, um, you know, like I said, I wanted to talk a little bit about AI and what you guys are doing. And I, I did, you know, sit through a session this morning, so I know a little bit more about it. But, you know, for the audience, I think uh, probably a good place to start is uh, the most common use cases for AI in uh, project-based business. And then which ones offer the biggest benefit, business benefit to your uh, customers? Yeah, I think I think when we're talking about Gen AI, you know, if we're talking about the, the new stuff, um, I think right now where we see the biggest benefit is in a digital assistant that can really help them understand context to the data they have in their project-based systems and also to help out their users because... In, in most of our solutions, we differentiate on the project dimension. So we're adding a, a whole other dimension to the way that businesses normally operate. Mm. So usually businesses are operating by locations, by types of accounts, um, and then you throw the project on there and things get a little bit more complex. And so being able to dispel that from an adoption perspective, from just a synthesizing data. Mm. I had a conversation with an engineering company earlier today, and they were really excited about the prospect of an, an assistant to help the people that they don't give access to the data mm. so they can get access to what they need to do their job. So I think fundamentally, as we kind of get started in this Gen AI world, that's probably the thing that's going to add the most value right away. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Most project-based businesses are very dispersed and you have a lot of remote workers. That's right. And that's, you know, they were remote way before remote was cool, I guess. Um, so so that, that makes a lot of sense, having the access to the assistant. Now, I know... I know you've done a few other things with it in the in the product, so maybe we could just talk a little bit more uh, beyond the assistant, which you know I do see a lot of business value. But what are some of the other things? And I know also in the presentation this morning you were breaking them out by uh, by AI, traditional AI, and Gen AI, which m makes sense to me. So maybe we could talk a little bit about both sides of that. Just sure. To see what else you're doing with them. Yeah. So we we. Uh, um 
you know, started talking about traditional AI in the sense of heuristic algorithms where we're mm -hmm. kind of hard coding um, all the parameters and kind of the way that like you even think of Monte Carlo simulation as a heuristic kind of form of algorithm, mm -hmm. um, which we do for like schedule realism and things like that. And then machine learning, we kind of put it into that traditional bucket now too, because it's usually narrow cast over a specific type of prediction that you're trying to do with a, a specific set of data and algorithms versus Gen AI, which is now with, with the large language models, it just has a much broader scope. Now, I think long term, I do believe that they'll start to converge a little bit as you get training data sets that cover what a, a distinct machine learning model would have covered into the Gen AI model, mm. then it, that will disappear. And so you get more narrow and narrow functions for machine learning you know, versus just a Gen AI model. But today we do see that they can be used together. And in terms of some of the things that we've done, um, so we talked about the digital assistant. I, I would say that's more like um, an uncurated model. In other words, mm. if you can ask it anything you want, sure. we use it to actually figure out what you're asking for and then try to direct you to the yeah. right place in the application to get the data versus a curated experience, which is some of the summaries that we've done. So we have uh, something called smart summaries mm. um, that we have not only in our GovOneIQ, which is our information service product, but also in some of the other products where we can take a different data entity like a federal agency profile or a client mm. or a project and generate a, a one to two page summary that gives you somebody that doesn't, you know, isn't steeped in that particular agency or that project, just a high level overview of what it's all about. Mm. And so this is hugely helpful as, you know, there's limited people that would have access to know how to query that information out of an ERP or out of an information solution. Mm. We can curate that journey for them to give them a generative response that they can then go and use, you know, wherever right. they seem to use it. So it's really time saver, but also, a way for these companies to more easily distribute information. So that's that's uh, kind of a, a curated Gen AI use case in terms of machine learning. So we've got a, a several different machine learning applications we've already put out there. Like one is we take all the government procurement data, we mm. crunch that into a model, then we have characteristics about federal contractors, and we kind of mash the two together and say this: you're a good fit for this opportunity, you're a bad fit for this opportunity, um, and we refresh that. I think. Uh, once every day to, to rescore everything as new data comes in. Mm. You know, that's an, an example of where we're just straight down the middle doing machine learning. I think where these come together is where you can kind of string a workflow or a job to be done together. So we talked about, you know, being able to, to help a resource planner identify resource needs mm -hmm. with a machine learning model, but then using generative AI to help create the job requisition, the job description, the job posting, mm -hmm. everything that you need to help speed up the recruiting process. So like even with the summarization, like that could make for a project manager, you could do your status reports. With that's that. right. So that that would speed up that process. So as an example, yeah, that, that's an exact example actually that we're doing. So in the in the government contracting space, there's a concept of variance reporting. So earned value management is required for DoD contracts over twenty million dollars, audited really over contracts over fifty, but they have to every month any variance of schedule or, mm. or, or cost, they have to have an explanation, an impact, and a corrective action plan. Uh -huh. And so when you're managing a huge program like a destroyer or, or a fleet of fighter aircraft, you could imagine there's yeah. hundreds if not thousands of yeah. those, and to chase them all down, look at them for accuracy, to even generate them hmm. from the information in the systems, um, is a challenge, and so we see big opportunity there. Yeah, that I mean that could make a lot of difference in the 
in the flow of the project and and the project manager's time, the assistants that's and right. all the other. And, and they that, can focus on the real work, which is right. make you know the corrective action. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that, I mean that's uh, I you know I um, I'm an ex naval officer and I've been through the uh, ship overhaul and the ship construction process and I've seen those Gantt charts that like span the entire room. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so I can imagine in a project that size there are probably a lot of variants. Yeah, that's. It's likely that it was as one of our products that formulated that Gantt chart. Might have been. Might have been. Maybe that's why that overhaul took so long. <laughs> I doubt it. We would have shaved years. I, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. <laughs> so, so, so let's focus a little bit on Gen AI from a from a project perspective. You know how how the assistant I can see, and we talked about that a little bit. But how does Gen AI in general help project uh, based businesses? do more efficient work, better yep. work. Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, right now we're just kind of getting started in terms of um, taking our experience from supporting our products and putting that, using that to educate a digital assistant. So it starts with um, the adoption, user adoption, and kind of user kind of journey, meeting them mm. in their moment of need, but taking our knowledge base articles as well as our product documentation mm. and putting that on top of, of a Gen AI model. So, so that's so like a tutor. Yeah, really. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so mm. when you think about uh, many of our products, especially when the more sophisticated ones around earned value mm. or around manufacturing, uh, bringing new people into the workforce uh, and educating them on how to do right. these things and how to be a good project manager is a challenge. And we have a lot of that knowledge and mm. accumulated metrics, you know, that that people have allowed us to, to preserve, mm. where we can help to give people insight into what is a, a good amount of unbilled to have in a project at the beginning phase, at the middle phase, at the end phase, mm. right? What is the good amount of open AR that you should have? So taking this stuff that we've accumulated 40 years of knowledge of getting projects done right. and putting that on top of a model mm. um, is really going to help give people advice and context yeah. along with, you know, a, the ability to create simple transactional data. Because that's really, I think, where the challenge is, is as the workforce evolves, as new people come in, how do you take an aging workforce and, and teach everyone mm. the way it was done or the way it needs to be done now. Right. And we believe that and a model that has kind of our intrinsic knowledge and IP can really help our customers with that problem. So, so I mean, just in time learning, I, when I, years ago when I was at PeopleSoft, we did a study about about that about that exact problem right for software what's the most effective way to teach people how to use it and you know at that time of course we didn't have gen ai and we didn't have like online tutors we were trying to decide if online help was better than mm -hmm. the manual hanging in the you know on the shelf <laughs> and 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 the, the but the biggest thing was that the the most um the best way people responded was when it was in the context of the thing they were trying to That's do, right? Because right? if you learn in a classroom, you've learned all this system and you don't do it for six months, there's a thing that you've got to do now. I need to know how to do that because I didn't remember, right? I mean, there's no way I retained that. So that that actually, that could make a huge difference in the usability of the product. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that, so today, right, the, the step one is make make. Uh, Gen AI aware of um, things that are easy, our knowledge base articles, our, mm -hmm. our help documentation. The next phase would be how do we safely make it aware of the context, meaning the configuration of the customer mm -hmm. and their data history. 
And if we can do that in a safe and effective manner, which I believe that we can, I think that uh -huh. security is and, and data privacy is really big here and, and the big providers are not going to ignore that. They're going to have to deal with it. Right. Um, and there's ways in which we can help with that. But, um, you know, that context of how they've deployed the software, of how they run their business mm -hmm. along with our context together, that's where the magic, I think, can really happen. Yeah, that I mean, that could be a huge benefit. I could definitely see that. So, um, it, you know, would be useful, I think, um, for, you know, talk about the project lifecycle, would probably be useful to kind of put that product life, project lifecycle in context of the things that you can do around that to deliver sure. a better experience to the customer. Yeah, so just uh, real quick on the project lifecycle for, for those who haven't heard, heard about it. So we really look at, you know, Dell Tech is industry specific. So we look at project-based industries that's like government contractors, manufacturers of, of engineer to order type of manufacturing, mm -hmm. architects, engineers, construction, consulting, creative agencies. So that's, we, we don't stray from that. That's one lens. The other is the project lifecycle cycle, which all these businesses, their entire business is usually a book of discrete project work. Mm. So it really starts from the ability to be able to find and win new opportunities. You know, once you've won an opportunity, then now, now you got to run a project. So you got to have that, had to have a good plan. You have to be able to critique that plan, make sure that it's going to, you know, set you up for having a great project. Sure. You got to find resources within the business that have the right skill sets and match them up with those project needs. Um, you have to find and develop talent. Almost all these businesses, whether they make a product or not, um, you know, the, their talent, their people is really what sets them apart from one another and makes them unique. So being able to find new talent, mm. bring it into the business and cultivate it is important. Mm. And then delivering on the projects, being able to do all the back office work to deal with the corporate you know, goals that, the, mm. that somebody might have, but also the project work, the deliverables, the tracking of it, the billing, the, the capture of time, all of those things you know, go into kind of the deliver side of the wheel for us. And then there's a measure component which says, okay, let's look at all those different phases. Let's connect them. Let's understand mm. how can we get better? What do we do? What do we do well? Where is our best profit margin on what types of projects? And then using that to think about how do I go after my next pursuit? Mm. So that's why it's kind of a life cycle for us and what we try to instill is it, when you learn what you're really good at, you cut out what you're bad at and you right. kind of accelerate. So we had, you know, a story we like to tell. We had a, an architecture company that, you know, did uh, hospitals and golf courses. They lost once they implemented our software. They found out they lost money on every golf course they ever did. <laughs> so they stopped doing that, and yeah. and the profit and growth <laughs> went yeah. up. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean that's yeah, that's good. And and I mean that's not data that's easy to to come by either. If that's you're right. because you look at every project in a discrete way, but what you've got to do is now look at all of those projects and figure out which type and what. Yeah, that's yeah. And so around the, the the project lifecycle, it's really there are distinct applications with, within each of those phases. But a lot of these phases kind of blur the life of a project, right? So right. you don't, not just creating a plan, you're creating a plan and then managing it over time, right? So being able to be more predictive about, you know, what are the different characteristics around the project that are mm. telling you that this is going well or not? Like I mentioned, you know, unbuilt time or, or open AR, right? So right. if you have open AR at the beginning of a project, not that big of a deal. If it's the end of a project, big deal, yep. right? Something's happening. Why is the customer not paying us? And being able to, to, to kind of pull out the characteristics of engagement of your employees, as well as an engagement of your customers to tell you what is the true temperature of this project? Mm. How does that roll up to a temperature of a division or the company overall? So I think that sure. the application of Gen AI uh, across some of these problems is gonna help us to analyze 
all that vast amount of data, that characteristic, and, and tell us. And I'll, I'll give you an example that we use actually ourselves. Is So we have this old algorithm that we developed to help us understand what's a good fit for a government contractor. Because there's mm. 2 million businesses registered to do business with the federal government, but only you know 40 or 50,000 of them are good candidates for us because they do cost plus work, project right. work, TNM, and so forth. And so we started to use GenAI to say, hey, characteristically, Look at this company's website, look at their social media, you know, look at publicly available information and tell us if they're a good fit for us. Mm. Right. So we can, you know, uh, our customers can start to do the same thing and say, hey, what's a good project for us? Mm. What are our key strengths? What's the key strengths of this project manager or that project manager? Mm. What makes a good uh, even employee in our business based on the, right. what, the work that we do? So I, I think there's almost the sky's the limit, and now it's just about prioritization. Yeah. Well, I, I know we you know, we focus a lot on productivity and um, and on like the tactics of using Gen AI. But what you just said is interesting because I don't know that I've explored this that much with people, but it's the strategic use of Gen AI, the way you can tie this to your business strategy That's right. to actually go after the right kinds of um, projects, find the right people, the people that will be the most successful in that context of that project, uh, et cetera. I mean, that's that's really interesting because it does move it up a level and, and talks more about how I use this to for broader business benefit versus I you know I make my content marketers put out three times the amount of content that they used to, which, which right. is also good. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but yeah, interesting. Let's go to the front of that, though, because I know um, a few years ago, I know you guys acquired a product now that you call GovWin mm -hmm. and or GovWin IQ, than, right? I think, I think about 10 years ago, but yeah. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, <laughs> you know how long I've been associated with you guys. Right. It all seems to blur after That's a right. while, right? That's right. Um, so, yeah, I guess that was, wow. Huh. Um, Time flies. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so taken in the context of GovWin, um, how does that help government contractors in that? Now, I, you, I saw the summaries, and you talked about the summaries, and I think sure. that's really interesting. But what about in the finding the right work and and doing, you know, just using GovWin so, in general? What so a couple different things, right? So so one of the th the advantages that we'll always have within the GovWin space or the the government contracting information service space is we have. Um, you know, dozens and dozens of analysts that are finding opportunities before they hit the RFP mm -hmm. stage with the government. So 70% of the $2.5 trillion that we're, of opportunities we're tracking is pre-RFP. Uh, and that is human intelligence, going to meetings, talking to people in the mm -hmm. industry, things of that nature. Um, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're going to be able to put more towards that and less towards bid scraping activities. Um, so we we can use where before we would we would have a lot of different individual programs, thousands of them actually, to go out to over sixty thousand state, local, and federal mm. websites to get bid information. Uh, right? We had yeah. a whole army of people that would do that, write code for that, you know, mm. curate the content for that. Genetic can you know um, really help us accelerate that, and we can take that um, that human capital and focus it on that pre-award, which is like one of the huge values. Um, and so we're already starting to do that. So like just behind the scenes, we're going to get much more effective of the secret sauce for Govern IQ mm. to begin with, yeah. uh, because if Genetic is going to make us a little bit more productive and also more accurate in terms of the information that we're pulling down, um, then folks. But I think that um, if we go to the, like that fit score that we. Talk talked about. So the FIT score uh, is really interesting because that that's all machine learning. You know, we're looking at procurement history. We're looking at the past history of the federal contractor and we're saying, how do these two things marry up? 
Now we're starting to create a Gen AI model to train it on taking in that context and give us a level deeper of context as to why. And it's pretty amazing the things that it's pulling out in terms of where there's kind of like works that it's adjacency. So for example, you would score negatively if you'd never done business with this federal agency. But as we look at the contract details or the bid details and the detail of history of work with this company, if we mm. found that, hey, this work is really in this particular sector, maybe it's in electrical engineering, and mm. you have a competency there, even if you hadn't ever worked with the Department of Agriculture, which would have dinged you in the machine learning model, right. Jenny and I can pick that out and say, actually, there's a match here that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. Uh, so getting to a, a bunch of different layers of characteristics, one, by, by the way, where you know sometimes it's so smart where we're not even asking it for certain context and it's pulling it back, right? We're like, why is why is this a good fit or not a good fit? You know, based on these criteria, give me some weighted values. So you're giving it kind of a frame, but you're letting it go out and decide what to pull back, and it's pulling back characteristics like that, which yeah. we didn't tell it to you know directly. So it's it's pretty incredible. So I think if we can augment our fit score with that yeah. kind of context. Yeah that's going to give a much richer understanding of what opportunities are really good for a, co a company. And also, if they want to diversify into mm. an agency, how, how do they need to go about it? Where are they, their real shortcomings? Yeah, and, and they, can, they can find places where they can leverage the skills they already have. And so, so that's an interesting comparison in that conversation and at what you were just talking about, the comparison between and I think this helps people understand this between an algorithmically derived score and a Gen AI derived score, which is an algorithm of sorts, but it's doing something different. Yeah. It has that capability to go beyond the framework that you put in the algorithm. That's right. It's yeah. looking at the entire context of information out there, whereas machine learning, you're picking context right. and you're training on specific context. Um, mm -hmm. And you also have to be careful about you know, how close that context in, is to the question you're ask, asking. Because most machine learning algorithms, like for example, you know, predicting project success, if you use an estimate at complete as an indicator, mm. it's gonna just peg to that because it's already designed to be a forecast of where you're gonna complete at. Right, so, so, right. so, you know, you're, so it plays to its own strength. That, based ex on, exactly, yeah. exactly, and it, on that finite parameters, whereas, whereas the, the Gen AI um, algorithms and, and the large language models are such a broad context you know, um, it's looking all throughout that training set at a bunch of different vectors, yeah. you know, that you you would never have the time to pull all out and train a machine learning model yeah. on. Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's really interesting because it does broaden the capability quite a bit out of this old paradigm of building an algorithm to do a specific thing. Um, so so project-based business, you know, obviously the biggest thing are the resources, the, the people. So what, what are you doing to help them with people, both, you know, from hiring people, which we all know is a problem right now uh, in the U.S. and probably other countries too, uh, and then also in matching those people to projects and, you know, finding yeah. out good fit, best fit sort of. Yeah. So I mentioned kind of just the, so one of the things that I mentioned before was just shortening that, what we call requisition to revenue, right? Mm -hmm. How, how quickly can I identify a resource need um, and then go through the hiring process and then bring that person on board, train them up so that I can build them out. Right. So that's yeah. a, it's a yeah. critical kind of across the project life cycle, um, uh, component to successful project-based businesses. But um, as we just talked about on the government contracting contract fit side, um, 
there is a, such a thing as cultural fit, right? So right. I, I know that when, whenever we interview somebody, you know, we're very proud of our culture. We work on that a lot at Dell Tech. Um, you know, we just got a Glassdoor award for that third, I think, in technology worldwide in culture. Mm. Um, but that's all based on a human filter. So that's right. based on in, you know, and in today's world, you know, with the labor market the way it is, it's tough. You can't run people through the same kind of gauntlet you might have before, right? So you're right. dependent on a few people making sure not only do they have the credential fit, um, but they have the, the cultural fit. So it'd be great to be able to use Gen AI in a way to understand hey, how fit for purposes is right. individual to our company. And also, like, what is their... Uh, chance of success at our company. Mm. Um, so I think that that is kind of the the next frontier, and I think we're going to start to see this show up in a lot of, you know, the HR capabilities yeah. and talent capabilities is is addressing people's fit based on what's publicly available about them, um, and and that's where you know I think we'll. Because because if, if you don't fit in culturally, say, you know, at Dell Tech or a lot of businesses, then you're not going to work out long term and, and you're wasting everybody's time. Yeah. Um, and so b to be able to answer some of that question unbiasedly up front to get at least an indicator so that you're walking in more informed into the interview process, you can press on the right things and really find out if that person's going to work out yeah. for you. There, there's a in the in the startup world, um, the, the person who ran HR for Reed Hoffman wrote a book, uh, Patty McCord about what she calls the algorithm and that's this idea that uh, you have to as a company as a business you have a specific need you're at a point in your growth life cycle whatever and so you need somebody that has that skill set and also it needs to be from their perspective what they need to be doing, what yeah. they want to do right so there's there's a match in three different directions and one of those goes away then and and I mean we've all had the experience of of making bad hires not because the person's bad just because they weren't a good fit for whatever culture yeah. or skill set or even size of business or where yeah. you were right that's right yeah. mismatch in, in in interpretation of what the job description was right so I think both ways right I mean I think it's it can help the the company understand hey what are are the, is this is this potential resource a good fit for the job a good fit for our culture and conversely it'd be great to to reach like candidate relationship management is a huge deal on how you keep mm -hmm. candidates that are that are good for you, warm, right, right. you know, to give the job seeker the opportunity to understand, hey, you know, how, how do I fit to this company right. to really guide how they interview and where they go? So overall, mm. it could be a pretty dramatic revolution on both ends of the mm. labor market. I mean, that, that, that would be a win for both sides, right? That, that definitely is interesting. Now, I do know there's been a little bit of pushback in AI in, in HR in some uh, areas like I think New York City now has some regulations about using it, and I've seen a couple others that have popped up. So, have you guys looked at that? I mean, how is that going to yeah. work? With yeah, so so we've looked at it a little bit. I mean, obviously we're um, we're looked at it a lot. I mean, we, we've we've had a, a internal governance, you know, from our corporate parent to Roper all the way to down. Each Roper company has their own kind of guidance, um, you know, with legal involved, uh, mm -hmm. with uh, our privacy council involved. And we're looking at that really hard. We have a lot of European companies that are on the vanguard of privacy, you know, individual privacy. Right, and, right. and those trickle down through us through Massachusetts or California or New York that usually starts a trend and mm -hmm. then goes nationwide. So we're obviously very sensitive to that. Um, you know, this would, you know, the, the Gen AI, um, you know, in terms of like Azure and, and OpenAI and so forth, 
they fall into a subprocessor category. Mm. The data is transient in terms of it coming in. You can turn off the ability to train. These models don't, you know, contrary to popular belief, generally don't train on the fly all the time. Right. They, there's <laughs> right. a training period, right. then there's a model produced and so forth. And it's about whether the company is retaining the data or not. Mm. That's the biggest thing. And so yeah, most of them have a setting to turn that off. And so it becomes transient data. And then it's about um, now you have to treat them as a subprocessor. You have to list them as a subprocessor, which has defined characteristics in terms of how that data needs to be protected in transit and in process. Mm. And so that's what we're looking at really hard. So we've, we've released a few features that are really based on, for more or less, publicly available information. Um, and we're putting through our kind of quality assurance and our legal and, and a data privacy page. Mm cases, digital assistance, and things of that nature to make sure that all the obligations that we would have for a subprocessor being met in terms of how the data is transmitted, mm. stored, used, not stored, uh, what have you. So I think um, I think what you're seeing right now, and, and the GSA also, you know, basically told everybody in the government they can't use ChatGPT, right. um, you know, and, and a lot of government contractors, I think rightly so, I mean, some of them have very sensitive programs, they're reluctant to allow the, the these these engines to be used, they wanna right. kinda see how the security posture shakes out. Um, I think that's just some of the newness, and I think right. some of the, the, the uh, misunderstanding or, or potential misinformation about how these models can be used and configured and what have you. But mm -hmm. you have big players like you know, Microsoft and its investment in OpenAI, um, you know, Amazon and its investment in Anthropic. Mm -hmm. uh, Security's not lost on these companies. No, right? no, definitely not. <laughs> so, and, and, and they all are also in the government you know, contracting business right. as well. So they understand the sensitivity there. Yeah, so, yeah. so I, think, I think it's a, um, more of a moment in time than a pattern. Uh, but we have to protect employee data. We have to protect, you know, companies' data, which is their IP, right. um, you know, more and more. And so um, it's just going to have to be part of the overall algorithm for how this industry takes shape. Mm. No, that, that, that makes sense. I think, um, you know, starting to hear from several enterprise vendors different ways that they're approaching that. And I think that's a, uh, it's obviously going to be something that a lot of companies care a lot about and from a regulation perspective, too, I think. So that's... Yeah, that's interesting. So, so what what are the challenges for um, for business for project based business that are thinking about getting into this? What are some of the challenges that they face, and how are you getting over those things? Yeah, I, th I think that um, sometimes the biggest challenge for anything that's new is to begin. <laughs> So uh, I used to have this conversation with, uh, you know, Namita Delon, who is uh, um, the, the, the head of uh, executive vice president of engineering technology at Dell Tech before me. And, um, you know, uh, we always used to talk about that, right? Let's just just begin. Let's just get started. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the most, because once you get started, then you start to move around, you get more comfortable over time, you get more experience and so forth. But the fear of starting is what holds people back a lot. Sure. And so that would be my biggest advice is to get started because, in the last 10 or 15 years, we have data science, we have data engineering, you know, now we have prompt engineering, we have, mm -hmm. you know, um, a, a bunch of different roles that have cropped up and they're very difficult to find, but there's a lot of younger folks coming into the workforce that were trained on these technologies mm. in college, in high school, that, that are more, had the mindset to go after this sure. type of stuff. And uh, my advice would be really to, you know, formulate a small group, you know, don't necessarily give them an expectation. 
mm. and have them go learn a little bit about what this technology mm -hmm. can do. Obviously, as a partner, you know, we're going to help companies by embedding some of this technology and making it transparent for the end user. But there's a lot of usages within every company that yeah. they need to understand. And so there's uh, we've talked about this, right? There's a ton of players out there right. propping up like crazy, um, you know, and really understanding the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of the vendors that are out there, and then really starting to look at, okay, so, you know, in in marketing, in project management, in, mm -hmm. you know, the different, in HR, in finance, you know, what are some of the things where this can help us from an automation perspective sure. and so forth, but, you know, just beginning on the knowledge journey here is the most important thing. And, and like I tell people with a, with a Fit Score, you know, uh, Kevin Plexico and his team started out without any end in mind. They mm. said, we think there's something here. Yeah. But, yeah. and so for about six months, they just played around with the technologies, played around with the data, saw what it could return. And then that helped them formulate this idea sure. for what would go into the product. Um, you know, but if they hadn't had that, you know, uh, that, that chance to fumble around in the dark, they wouldn't have come yeah. up with anything. Yeah, that, I, I think that that's interesting because I, I definitely, Almost every episode that when I'm talking to, to, to an expert about this, it, I, I always ask that what you know what should they do? When should they get in? That sort of thing. And, that, and that's almost universally the, the answer is you need to get in and do things now. Doesn't mean that you have to put everything in production right away, right? It, 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 some of it is just simple experimentation. Um, and and you know, the vendor, the providers of some of the technologies, as you start to embed things, there are things that you're doing that will make that easier from an adoption standpoint. Without like you mentioned doubt. prompt engineering. And sure, if you're using all the standalone tools to do things, you you have to learn to be some sort of a prompt engineer or you'll never get anything back. But if you're using embedded technology, I would assume that part of what you're doing from a product perspective is taking some of that away, so you don't actually have to do that. Is that is that accurate? A absolutely, yeah. So so we've got very curated responses, mm. like the you know the um, uh, the federal agency's smart summaries, right? Mm. That's a curated response behind the scenes. Yep. We're generating like all the different prompt engineering, and really the user doesn't have to do anything. Right. Versus the digital assistant, where we're actually using Gen AI to interpret. The natural language question, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is where natural language search and, and Gen AI come together. So we, the first thing we would do is send the question to Gen AI and say, "What do we think they're asking?" And we yeah. also give it a, an awareness of what's possible in our application and say, "Match these two things together. Mm -hmm. What do they ask versus what are the entities and functions within our application?" <laughs> and it does a remarkably good job of mm. pairing the two together and then asking us for information that we then recursively kind of go until yeah. we get an answer. But but I think that it's it's interesting. You wouldn't necessarily think that using Gen AI to decode prompt engineering is the way to go, but that actually helps us abstract kind of, um, you know, that end user from having to be an expert in prompt yeah. engineering. Yeah. I mean that that makes sense, and I, I know I've even tried some tools that are that are you know prompt improvement sort of focus, mm -hmm. and I would assume over time that can slip behind the covers and and end up being a function that is there so that a person is able to be more conversational with the 
So yeah, the one thing we need to touch on, and we're getting close to the end of time, but I, I wanted to make sure I hit on this before, sure. was around UI, UX, and, and kind of where you guys are going there. Because I think that's really important, and I've started to see this across you know several different product lines. So what are you doing around that with, with Gemini yeah. and AI? Yeah, so um, just in general, right? So we, we've made a, a really big investment in not only you know interaction design, visual designers, user experience folks, um, research teams, mm. You know, because we really kind of want to understand jobs to be done. How are people using our stuff? What are they really trying to accomplish in the business? And then how do we, you know, have a contemporary look, feel, and kind mm -hmm. of the combination of user interface and user experience to get the job done? Um, you know, I think that, you know, having that digital assistant be ever present. So you think about it as a colleague that's coming to work with mm -hmm. you every day that's hooked up to the machine, that's hooked up to all our knowledge, all our training, all our experiences that can help either be suggestive about how somebody might uh, um, uh, fill out a transaction or you know deliver things to someone. So one of the things we're working on is anomaly detection with Gen AI so that we can mm. look at transactions. So you think about you know, uh, a statement coming in from your bank versus the transactions that you have in your system and reconciling right. them. So that is a mundane task I that has to be that. done. I really hate doing that. <laughs> right. And so using Gen AI to help, hey, these are the anomalies you really need to look at yeah. versus these are the things that are, you know, probably okay. Um, and then giving them the option to then accept, reject. So things like that make the experience much mm -hmm. better for the person doing the reconciliation rather than, Makes you know, three-way match or other ways that we had to do it that were very, very <laughs> narrow cast. Right? Crazy, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that, so, that'd be a huge improvement. I can see that. Yeah, yeah so there's a, so I think, you know, having that ever-present assistant, making the, the whole concept of Clippy actually work. Yeah. Um, you know, for those of us who remember what Clippy you know, is. I, I, I honestly, I was so surprised because I thought Microsoft, when they brought out Copilot, I thought, why didn't they just call it Clippy? Like, Again, come on. How bring good it back. would that be? Uh. But uh, yeah, so so infusing it in that way in a couple different ways so that it's, it's yeah. sometimes it's in the flow of a natural way that somebody would do a job within sure. the, the project-based ERP. Um, and sometimes it's just the ever-present, hey, I want to pull something down and ask questions and, mm -hmm. and give me some help on, on this particular area. So... Um, I think that's going to radically change it. And the other thing, which I think is really interesting, right? So chat GPT for, you know, um, the, the capability for voice and the capability for graphics. So we talked about this a little bit. We're, we're starting to, to figure out, you know, um, how can this be more democratized in terms of BI, right? So sure. uh, we use IBM Watson today to help um, somebody could put in a natural question to give me the profitability of Project X, you know, uh, over this period of time, and it'll mm -hmm. suggest uh, a bar chart or, you know, yeah. a, 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 you know, uh, a pie chart or whatever, then it'll generate that and give you insight into the data and mm -hmm. say, well, this is associated with this product manager sure. and so forth, or, you know, so forth and so on. Well, um, you know, now, you know, with ChatGPT4, you can have that, conversation over your phone to the ERP and have it return back the mm. information you want. And, and not only that, you can then, it'll understand the context of that continued conversation. So now drill in town to, into this week, drill down into this location, yeah. drill yeah. Into, into this timesheet um, or whatever you want to do to refine. So it, it makes that, you know, having an actual conversation, it, it just changes the dynamic of what user experience means when interacting with enterprise software. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we're moving towards a, a natural way to use systems versus, you know, our evolution through forms and spreadsheets exactly. and all those things that we used to do that weren't that much fun, but were necessary because we didn't have any other way to make programs work. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, uh, I'll tell you this. I mean, so all our dashboards that we ever created for all time are always configurable because the one that we create out of the box, while, while we do a lot of listing and a lot of work on them, yep. you know, most of the time people need to, there's that to, one thing to tweak that I really a few things, right? To know, yeah. So imagine more of a blank screen where it's like, well, what do you want a dashboard on today? And you just have a quick conversation with the ERP yeah. and then boom, you've got, you know, interactive graphics that you can then dive into. Right. I mean, th this yeah, is kind of where it's going, where it's almost like a UI less user experience that's mm -hmm. that's generated on the fly. You know, I don't know if that is that one year is that five years out. It, it's in the future. And we also talk about conversational UI a lot in terms of meeting people in Outlook and teams and Slack mm -hmm. and places where they're working. And we have an adaptive card concept with Microsoft we're using to do that so we can send a timesheet via email, you know, or we have notifications that can pop mm -hmm. up in Teams. So part of this would be making though that that um, UI list kind of UX available in that conversational UI. So in the ERP might be in the background, yeah. um, but you know, they're interacting it in their normal course. They might eventually think that that's just part of teams or that's the plugin for Dell right. tech in teams. Right. Um, so I think that there's, you know, we got to think about a future like that yeah. for 90% of the people in the business. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Well, I, I wrote about that not that long ago, uh, Salesforce and Slack, right? Cause Slack is, um, Slack could easily be a, a UI for most of the people in your business or teams, same concept, right? Yep. Because I don't, I, I live, you know, and salespeople, they don't, they don't live in, in the CRM. They live in, you know, Slack or Chatter yeah. or Teams or whatever it might be, right? Because it's all conversational. So if you can do things inside of that, that's really that's right. powerful. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Submit your timesheet, submit your expense report, find out the past history of this client. Like, I mean, you know, what's their, what, how, how, how do they, they pay within their terms, mm. right? Do we have to go do an extra financial review on right. that? Like, so, right. so there's all kinds of things like that, that if mm. you surface that assistant with context and knowledge of your business, yep. our tools, in those conversational UIs, that's kind of the, the whole. I mean, to me, that's really exciting. Yeah, I think yeah. that is that that will change a lot of people's lives in the way they interact with Without systems, a doubt. and it certainly makes it easier to learn how to interact with the system when you're just doing it naturally. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I hate to end the conversation because frankly, I could keep going, but <laughs> I know that my audience probably won't keep going. So, uh, I you know that's all the time we have today, and and. Warren, I really appreciate you joining me. It's, um, it's always fun to talk, and I think this is an exciting topic and a lot of things to, a lot of directions to go. Uh, before I let you go, though, there's the one thing I always ask at the uh, end of the show. Do you, do you have somebody you could recommend that's a mentor, an author, a podcast, or whatever that you uh, has had an impact and influence on you that you could suggest for the audience? Um. That's interesting because I, I don't I don't really uh, subscribe to very many podcasts. Like I usually when I'm when I'm listening to a podcast, it's either one of yours or <laughs> um, you know it's it's more recreational for me. So or or a book that you think would be useful. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, one of the books that we've we kind of read and talked about um, recently within kind of our our leadership team is a book called Smart Brevity, mm. um, and I think that it helps us kind of understand how to get to the point. Yeah. You know, we live in a world where, you know, we've got a lot of information. We've got a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of tangents yeah. you can go down. And those are, there's a place for that. There but is, yeah. oftentimes when you're kind of in, in a fast-paced business environment, you know, you need to get jobs done. And so having, you know, smart brevity, having the ability to 
really focus the conversation or mm. what's the most important thing to be, get done now helps in prioritization of thought as well as execution. So mm. I think we really try to embrace that. Yeah, smart brevity. That's great. I like the idea. And I mean, it sort of reminds me of the the stand-ups that I used to do back in the day when I ran projects, mm -hmm. right? Make everybody get up for 15 minutes and have a standing meeting, literally. And uh, and things went really quick because right. nobody wanted to stand for more than 15 minutes, <laughs> that's right. right? Yeah, that's good. Well, th thanks, Warren, again. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I've had a, a really interesting good time here, as always, when I get to come to uh, Project Con now. It used to be called something else. But... Um, we don't remember that name anymore. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I assumed. I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, but but I really appreciate it, and and I'm sure that uh, the audience got a lot out of the conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. Yep, it's a pleasure. And that's the show for this week. Thank you all for joining. Remember to hit that subscribe button. And for more on AI and other software research reports and posts, check out thearianresearch.com slash blog and slash research reports. And don't forget to join us next week. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.